Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning on Labor Day weekend, and we're pleased to be joined by Connecticut AFL-CIO President Sal Luciano. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Sal, let's start with the history of Labor Day, especially in light of the pandemic, bring us back to the roots of how this holiday got started. Sure. Um, the work week back in 18, back in the, after the civil war, um, was a very long week. They were usually 12 hour days and included Saturdays. So people would, would have, um, only Sunday as a time of rest and their days would be full. Um, in 1886, a group of people who wanted to unionize because they wanted to only work eight-hour days, six days a week, they they protested in Haymarket on May 3rd. One of the protesters got beaten to death and 11 others got injured. And um, as a result, the next day on May 4th, there was a huge group of protesters protesting not only for the death of the person who was killed the day before, but also protesting to work an eight-hour workday, six days a week. Um, In the course, they never found out who did it, but in the course of that, there was a bomb thrown into the crowd, and uh, several policemen were killed, several bystanders were killed, 60 other people were injured. As a result of those protests, um, May Day became a cry throughout the entire world. In in, uh, 1890, May Day was celebrated throughout the entire world, including by the United States. However, as time went on, there was a push to not associate May Day with the United States. And so the entire world celebrates that Haymarket massacre, uh, except for the United States, who now does it on uh, the first Monday in September. But those days were really rough days and they didn't get much better. By 2011, by 1911, there was the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, 
which was a factory in Manhattan where a fire started and 146 people, 23 men and 123 women died. 62 of them died uh, by jumping off the building in order not to be burned to death. The reason there were so many casualties is that many of the exit doors were locked in order to better make sure that the workers' pocketbooks could be checked um, because the owners were worried about them stealing some of the fabric. Those workers, uh, they worked nine-hour workdays and seven hours on Saturday. So they had a 52-hour work week by 1911. And of course, the fire happened on a Saturday in the afternoon at four o'clock. Uh, it was something that made people realize that we needed safety standards in this country and um, that we needed to stop exploiting these workers. Um, almost all of them, as I said, were women. And almost all of the women were between 14 years old and 23 years old. And they were mostly all Jewish and, and Italian um, immigrants to the United States. About 10 years later, in uh, 1921, mine workers attempted to unionize because they had to rent the shovel, they had to rent the picks, they were paid in company script that they had to spend in company stores. So it wasn't uncommon for them to work 60 hours a week in the coal mines and at the end of the week be in more debt than the week before when they started. In their attempt to unionize, it was the first time the army, in, in fact, the first time airplanes were used to bomb these workers um, in, a, in an attempt to prevent them, in a successful attempt to prevent them from unionizing. One of the reasons it was so bloody is some of the mine workers fought in World War I. They fought for their country only to come home and be treated this way um, in, the, in the sweatshop mines in coal country in 1921. So there's been a long history and it includes um, the civil rights when Martin Luther King thought it was a crime that people could work a full work week and still be eligible for food stamps. And in fact, he uh, was murdered trying to support a strike of the refuse workers, almost entirely black workforce in Memphis, Tennessee in 64. So he also said that you can't have economic, uh, civil, you can't have civil rights without economic rights. He said, what does it profit a man to be able to sit at a segregated lunch counter if he can't afford the hamburger? And so there's, the American history of the labor movement has been a history of struggling to provide for your family. And it's been a difficult one. And we make one step forward and then we make one step back. Um, we, we finally came up with child labor laws so that children did not work in the mines. And then we allowed people to unionize so they could have a voice at work and, and be safer in the workplace. And we did things like provide a minimum wage, which was a wonderful thing, but then we didn't adjust it to inflation. So minimum wage became a joke and, and forced people to struggle working uh, 40 hours a week. And we find ourselves, um, again, we take a step forward, we take one back. The, the um, Supreme Court just a few years ago said that corporations are people and they said money is speech. So rich people apparently have much more speech than you and I. What are some of the, the key issues on the front line of the labor movement today? What are, are you still fighting for? So we're still fighting to try to um, have a sustainable wage. The um, minimum wage in Connecticut 
based on fighting for working people just went to $13 an hour, August 1st. That's still not, um, it's still not a living wage. And so we still struggle. We know that uh, when we do studies on happiness or unhappiness, that all you need is to be able to put food on the table and not worry about losing a roof over your head. And any American could be as happy as any billionaire because life is about relationships, friends, and, and those kinds of personal relationships. That's still a struggle. And uh, in other words, if you look at Hartford, the median income is under $18,000. And so when people are struggling, when, when uh, 40% of Americans cannot pay a, an emergency bill like a busted furnace or $500 car repair, it's a real problem in this country. It puts an awful lot of stress on families. And uh, then we wonder why um, people have so much difficulty, why the uh, why Chicago has uh, all those shootings, et cetera. It's, it's too much stress on, on people to have to have these constant worries. Talk to me in particular about union members on the front lines during the pandemic. I, I know you represent a, a lot of healthcare workers in Connecticut. How has it been for them the past year and a half? Yeah, the pandemic has changed what we considered essential workers. Normally, we think of essential workers as being um, hospital workers, firefighters, police, first responders. And and it, it and now it extended to include uh, people who stock the shelves at the grocery stores. It includes the bus drivers who get people to the hospitals. It includes the certified the nurses assistants who early on in the pandemic were told by the deputy commissioner of the Department of Health that they wanted to use garbage bags for PPE, which, which is totally nonsensical. Many of people were doing jobs when the rest of us could stay home and shelter. These people um, didn't even know about masks, couldn't even get masks, didn't know what was causing a scourge around them. The CNAs were watching the elderly die at a at just an amazing rate. Most of the white people who died in COVID, many of them were patients in convalescent homes. And so the CNAs just witnessed death after death. Many of them have gotten post-traumatic stress disorder as a result. And um, bus drivers, uh, I know, were impacted. Uh, some brought the virus home to their families and their family members died. And so it really kind of pulled the curtain back on what was already a bad situation in terms of uh, the wealth gap. Most of the workers who had to work were black and brown because they couldn't afford not to work. And um, so, you know, many people beat pots and pans and we called them heroes, but um, really they bore the brunt of the danger. They bore the brunt of the mortality and they bore the brunt of putting themselves and their family at risk during the pandemic. Do you feel that, you know, a lot of people call these workers heroes, but have you been satisfied with the actions to to back up that name? These workers, um, the federal government has given billions of dollars to the state of Connecticut in part to be able to uh, provide hazard pay for those people who risk their lives and their families' lives. And they haven't seen a penny of that money. And so, no, I, I don't I, I don't think that um, that to this point we've acknowledged them. We've acknowledged their sacrifice. When we call people heroes, we need to show them that we think they're heroes. It's not just empty words. 
Now, there was a proposal, I believe, to maybe allocate a half billion dollars or so of federal relief money to give those workers extra pay after the fact. This was something the the unions presented to the Lamont administration. Was that a non-starter or is that still being discussed? I don't know where uh, there's still, I believe, a half billion dollars of ARPA funds still remaining. That's after much of the money was used to plug regular holes in the state budget. So that money, I believe, is still out there and it can still be used. Uh, what we're looking for is not just for unionized people, but for all the workers that the governor said needed to put their lives on the line and their families' lives on the line, it would be about a dollar an hour. It isn't much, but it's real uh, money for those people who, who earn minimum wage. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Connecticut AFL-CIO President Sal Luciano. Sal, have you received any feedback that perhaps the proposal to use the federal money for frontline workers would be an easier sell if there had been more negotiation about the state employee raises that were received uh, just over a year ago, even as some people were, you know, on um, unemployment and losing their jobs during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people pointed to the fact that state employees got raises um, and, and said they shouldn't. And, you know, so many of them were people like correction officers who not only didn't get masks, not only didn't get personal protective equipment, but there's no ability in the jail to socially distance. And um, they put their lives on the line. And then they were told they, they didn't deserve the raise that they got. Without, without understanding that there have been a number of concessions, there have been six zeros for state employees, six years of zeros in, a, in the last 11 years. Now it's time for them to get a raise uh, during a time when seven, just the Department of Corrections had 1,700 employees as of May of this year, test positive for COVID. How are talks going currently with Lamont administration? The the contracts for a lot of the employee unions expired at the end of June. What's the status of talks? They're kind of all over the place. I guess the, some of them have had more sessions than others. They have not, at, to this point, been going well, but I have reason to believe that hopefully that, that they will go a little bit better. As you know, because... There's no discussion on healthcare and um, pension. And there is a, a great concern uh, because of the changes we made in the last concessions that many state employees will be leaving by 2022. There is some hope that these individual 15 uh, contracts that are being negotiated with individual unions uh, will be positive. And we remain hopeful and we continue to negotiate in good faith. What are some of the sticking points? I think some of the sticking points are um, having a voice on the job. Um, and um, I think I think it, they are raises. I think um, six zeros in 11 years is, is something that have impacted families and, and have held them back a little bit. And so I, I think I think the money is, is going to be the issue, especially since uh, there is no discussion on pension or health care at this point. Now, I believe that layoff protections for some workers expired with these yep. these contracts in June. Is is job security a major concern, or is state government in a place where there's so much attrition, where you know laying people off wouldn't make sense? 
You know, it's a, that's an interesting point. And I just have to point to the fact that we've never had so few state employees um, since I can ever remember. Um, and, and I've been actively employed since 1980. Uh, we're about 15,000 down. Um, in fact, every sector bounced back from 2008 before the pandemic, except for municipal and state employment. Um, they're down about 14,000 with so many more expected to leave in 2022. Um, this, I don't believe job security is, is a huge concern. What is a concern, however, is the possibility of privatizing core government functions. Right now, want to know if you have a neighbor who's a state employee and you want to know how much he makes, you can punch it right up, including overtime. When these companies come in, uh, you don't know how much they're making. They're paying millions of dollars to a CEO. Uh, they're exploiting their workers. And when you ask them a question, you get no transparency because they claim everything's proprietary. So um, we do have concerns about what that might look like in the future. I suspect you would point to the paid family and medical leave program that's being rolled out right now. Yeah, that's a, that's an example. Um, the non the the non-paid family medical leave laws right now are being enforced by the Department of Labor. It they could have handled the put the P in front of it, the paid family medical leave. I, I think they would have been the the perfect people to be able to take care of this program since they already have to know the in and outs of the non-paid family medical leave, and they also enforce it. So it just didn't make sense for to give the contract to Aflac. Uh, and, you know, it's it's about a $23 million contract, and, and that's about the CEO uh, pay of the chair of Aflac. Now, the paid family and medical leave program, which begins paying out benefits to most workers January 1, I say most workers because unionized state workers are, are not part of that system. They don't have the, the payroll tax of one half of 1% withheld, and they're not going to get the benefits. What's the rationale behind that exemption? Well, my understanding is that they can negotiate to be part of it, that they just left it to collective bargaining. So they can become a part of it should they choose. Is that part of current negotiations, or has that not really been discussed? That's a, that's a subject of bargaining. And so it's up to each individual union if, if their members are interested. That's usually how um, the, the unions get their signals as to how to negotiate. They send a survey to their members and ask them what's important. In fact, you know, we could tell that state employees were getting older when they started wanting um, better uh, eye vision uh, dental benefits as time went on. And so you, you, you can... You can see that as the demands changed, it was because the demographics changed within the unions. What are the latest surveys telling you? I, I would not know that. Um, I've been out of, I, I don't represent uh, state employees directly. They are affiliates of the AFL-CIO. So that it would depend uh, on the individual units and what they consider important. Correction now, officers retire after 25 years, so they would they're usually less interested in things that older workers would be interested in. Now, in August, you came to terms, the unions uh, representing state employees came to terms with the Lamont administration over a, a vaccine mandate for state workers, either get a COVID vaccine or submit to weekly testing. How, how difficult an agreement was that to reach? 
we have some members, um, just like the general public, who have real problems with the vaccine. And having said that, I don't understand how we're going to get past this pandemic unless we all get vaccinated. Um, one of the reasons why we're dealing with the Delta variant is because there are so many people who uh, were refusing to get vaccinated that it allows the virus to mutate. So I don't really see how we get back as a country uh, without taking the vaccine. I'm, I'm maybe just a little bit too young, but people around me had polio and no, nobody hesitated to take the polio vaccine. It was such a dreadful disease and um, it's almost eradicated because of the universal acceptance of taking the polio vaccine. That's what I would like to see. Uh, that's the kind of leadership I think um, the union leaders have to push for um, to get to get past this pandemic. Does the AFL-CIO have a, an official position on the COVID vaccine? It's, it's uh, going to be a subject of bargaining for um, the different unions in in um in some cases um but i you know our position is to encourage people to take the vaccine for the re very reasons i just gave you aaron is there an opportunity for for more discussion with individual members who who are hesitant i mean do you, do you think you know having another conversation with them can convince them on a one-on-one -on -one basis I hope so. I mean, there are so many, you just hear these horror stories of people who, when they get COVID, they're like, I can't be getting this. I can't be dying. It's a hoax. Um, and, and other people, um, the conservative talk show hosts who have been saying that this vaccine doesn't work, that, that now that they got it and, you know, as they were getting intubated said, I, I wish I just took the vaccine. So, you know, I, I really believe that, um, most of the most employees that are knows still are not really knows. They're more um, of wait and see. When um, some of the um, elderly in the convalescent homes were getting vaccinated, when all of them were getting vaccinated, only a third of the CNAs agreed to be vaccinated. That number is almost 100% now because um, many of the CNAs are people of color and they have, I think, a right to be concerned. Uh, given the history of the Tuskegee Airmen who were experimented on um, with syphilis uh, and, and so many other horror stories, they're right to be uh, a, a little bit um, scared. But once they see that the elderly have gotten the vaccine, that they're not dying anymore, um, they agreed to take the vaccine and now they're almost 100 percent. Sal, and that's where I'm hoping members get to. In our final minute or so, talk to me about where you see the, the labor movement going in the coming years. What are the big challenges that you face? Right now, there's uh, the Protect Our Right to Organize Act. It's the, the Congress passed it in March. The Senate is sitting on it. I don't know that it'll get the 60 votes that it needs. I'm hoping it does. Most people, given the choice, over, overwhelmingly would wish to be unionized. And why isn't that happening? It's because there are so many barriers to um, unionization. One, of, one example is that it is illegal for you to fire me if I try to organize a union, and yet it happens every day. And right now, the remedy is that you pay me the difference. Two years from now, finally, when it's all adjudicated, you pay me the difference of what 
I would have gotten and what I made in the last two years in a different job in order to feed my family. And in many cases, it's not much difference in money and, 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 in, and it's just a regular cost of doing business for, you, for union avoidance companies. And so I think the PRO Act needs to be passed. I think we need to stop stacking the deck on working people. You know, we, we are just taxed so much more heavily with our blood and sweat and tears working than wealthy people are. You make $100,000 working versus $100,000 uh, sitting at home because you were lucky to have uh, a family that gave you wealth and you're taxed at two entirely different rates. That is not, that was not done by God. That was, that's mankind doing that. And I'd like to see the Supreme Court um, or ch changes to the Supreme Court maybe longer term so that we stop uh, helping rich people be more powerful, not just richer, which is happening, but also have more political power through decisions like Citizens United, where we say that corporations are people and that uh, money is speech. He is Connecticut AFL-CIO President Sal Luciano. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and happy Labor Day to you. Thank you, Aaron. Happy Labor Day. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.